Welcome to the Loan with Jen podcast, your weekly source to keep you informed on everything about financing your home, where you will hear real facts, no BS. I'm your host, Jennifer Hernandez, a loan officer since 1995, and over 4,300 families financed to date. If you're starting to think about buying or refinancing a home, wonder if you have the right credit, savings, or even income, you're in the right place. On my weekly episodes, I make complicated topics easy to understand. By the way, my license is NMLS 514497. The ideas expressed here are my own opinions and don't represent any legal advice. Thanks for joining. Let's jump in. Welcome to Weighing In on Your Numbers and Save More. First, who I am, Jennifer Hernandez. I'm a lender, but also I love to help people save money. I'm super passionate about that. Just a quick testimonial of why I'm qualified to teach this. 12 years ago, now almost 13, I was really successful in business, but I wasn't good at managing my money. No one had really taught me how to really do it. You know, school never taught me. And my parents weren't fabulous at saving money either. They did the best they could, but I just really kind of learned it all on my own. Paid my way through school 100% at Texas A&M. And if I needed more money, I just waited tables. I just picked up a shift at the restaurant and it worked out for a long time. It just worked. I was like, well, if I want something, I just got to go out and work hard and earn money for it. So that was the beauty about waiting tables. Then fast forward, I started in mortgage in 1995 and very quickly within a few years, you know, became successful more than the average loan officer, but I never still really learned to manage my money. And then in 2008, nine, I really just hit the wall. I was running my own branch of a mortgage company at the time, which is kind of really like running your own business. And I had to stop that. I just said, you know what? I don't want to run my own business anymore. I want to go work for somebody else. But I had a lot of bills that had piled up because I hated managing them. I just hated it. And I put pretty much everything I owed on American Express. So like overnight, I had a lot of debt and I didn't stop spending money that I didn't have because remember, I didn't have good habits. And overnight, almost literally within a span of four or five months, I was at $100,000 in debt. Now, it was just by accident, like it crept up on me. I just was like, oh my gosh. So needless to say, I changed my ways I had to confess to my husband about it. He knew nothing about it because we didn't have structure really about money. He just trusted that I got it all done. Thank God he didn't divorce me. He stood by me grudgingly at first, super upset with me, which I don't blame him. But since then, I paid all of that debt off. I did it within the span of a year and also got more focused. I actually had some coaching that helped me with that, learned how to spend the right way within my means and how to save. So since that very dark time in my life with money where I just hit the wall with my bad habits, I have saved every year anywhere from 20 to 40% of my gross income per year. So some years have been higher and some kind of right at 20%. So those are my qualifications. Just as a fellow human, I have learned the hard way. And I remember years ago when I was paying that debt off, I remember there were days I had $5, maybe even less in my bank account, but I 
was really focused. I never paid anything late. I stayed focused on it. And again, like I said, I changed my ways about money. And now, luckily, thankfully, I can talk well about it. But I'm going to teach you some of the habits that I learned that are super simple that we all know how to do, but sometimes we just need to hear them in a different way or hear them again. So my goal for you is that you pick up just a couple of tactics that can already build upon what you're already doing. None of it is super, super earth shattering. So just want to give a disclaimer, no big, huge secret, but really it's about structure and accountability. That's all it is. So if you focus on it, it'll change. First, I want to just quickly mention my YouTube channel. If you haven't been there yet, I've got over 300 videos on Loan with Jen. Most of them are mortgage related. And then there's some side topics like this of saving more money. So I'm passionate about it because I help people get into debt and I want to help them get out of it too and save more. And not only from my personal experiences, but just through being able to help people with finances through the journey of home ownership. So if you haven't already visit Loan with Jen, you can just find answers to some of your burning questions about mortgages and real estate in a super safe place. So my very first tip right now at the time of this recording, I do this class probably twice a year and a lot has changed since the last time I did it. So right now, a lot of things are going haywire and there's a lot of fear out there. Interest rates have risen and are rising. Probably more to more normal, historical normal is kind of the normal, but We've been tainted for a long time with these super low interest rates. So things are unfortunately calibrating and evening themselves out very quickly. There's inflation. I just don't even turn on the news anymore. There's all kinds of banter and negativity in the news. You know, consumer confidence is down, all these different things. So my advice to you, which a mentor has given me, is focus on what you can control and not what you can't. So your activity. We're going to talk about activity around finances today, but your activity and your attitude are things that you can control. So my advice to you, that's what I'm focusing on. I'll have these fearful moments and I'll start looming and dooming out into the future and I have to stop myself. So surrounding myself with things like this, webinars or mentors or people that can help keep me in check. So I hope that helps you. But that's what we're going to focus on today is the structure around finances that's something that you can control. So I've got some little stats here. 54% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. This was in 2020. So actually that data, there's not any release data newer than that yet, but I have a feeling that because of COVID, that has likely gone up. And 50% of the workforce has no pension. 20% of Americans don't have anything for retirement. They don't have any savings. And COVID has wiped savings of a lot of people, you know, people that were out of work, people that had to live off of what they had in savings, if they had savings. So these numbers will change, probably, unfortunately, more drastically increasing. But again, this is about 18-month-old information. It was the soonest that I could find, but it's still a staggering number regardless of that. So when Social Security was first created, the average life expectancy was 62 years. And now it's 72 years. So people have to plan to live longer. So they need more money to keep them afloat. Like they want to retire in, you know, their 60s. How are they going to float themselves for 10, 15, hopefully 20 years? 62%, so two-thirds of Americans retire on less than 48000 a year in income. 
And that's especially scary right now that prices are going up. And there's a lot of people as we have a growing aging community of older Americans and prices of things like gas and food and milk and just the basics is higher. So it's more important now than ever to pinch pennies and have some structure around these finances. 60% of Americans always or sometimes worry about their money. That has gone up even in the last week or in the last month, really. Consumer sentiment is measured and the numbers came out last week. And that's one of the reasons why rates shot up in combination with some other things. But consumer sentiment is down meaning the feel-good vibes of the American people is down in the 50 percentile numbers, which is said to be the lowest that it's been since the Great Depression. After I give this depressing news, I want to again remind you, like, let's focus on what you can control. This doesn't have to happen to you. And so my goal is to give you some just good, easy tips today to expand on what you're already doing in your finances. So here's some important facts for you. An average return of 8%. I know that that's not what's returning right now, but remember a lot of hopefully what you're saving for long-term is long-term. This is a blip. This is a point in time that will turn around. You know, there's ups and downs. So when these downs and losses in the market have happened before, I mean, I've been really super investing now for, you know, 12, 13 years, but over time I've saved with all those ups and downs, the average is eight to 9%. So I'm using 8% in these numbers. So depending on what age you are, you have a different number of years to save. So you can help put that in what it means to you. So if you save $100 a month, just $100 a month, in 20 years, 58,000, 30 is almost 150. And in 45 years, you'll have half a million dollars. Saving $500 a month, look how these numbers go super up. So if you're younger and you're watching this, wow. You have lots of years to save. So this is just some big aha moments for you to be like, hey, a little can really, really go a long way. Putting in your savings account is not going to return you 8%. You've got to be a player in the market, you know, some way, shape or form to get returns of 8%. But this is what I wanted to show you. So some key basics to this structure that we're talking about is to know your goals. And we're going to talk about, you know, have a vision for your finances, like where you want to be, how much do you need? There's probably all kinds of tools that you can find online that can help you calculate if I am going to retire, you know, depending on when you're going to be over 60, you know, if I'm going to retire when I'm this age, when today's dollars, I want to live on this amount of money. Like, how much do I need to save? So there's some exercises that you can find to do that. But having a vision and saying, okay, for me to be able to retire and have this much income per month, like, what could I live on? Could I live on 5,000 a month? Could I live on 8,000 a month for me to be able to have some kind of a housing payment? Or when I did the planning, my vision was that my house would be paid off. So whenever I sell my house the next time, the current house that I live in, my goal is to take that equity and use that to pay cash for the next house. So that's usually when people are in their 60s. That's usually what we actually see a lot of clients do. Sometimes, hopefully that will be applicable to you. Another great reason to invest in real estate and not be renting is you have an appreciating asset. So if I was renting, I wouldn't have that accumulation of appreciation that I have now 
that I've been a homeowner for all these years and I've sold a couple of houses and each time I had some equity and I put it into the next house, right? So it keeps rolling on. So have a vision, seek out some exercises that you can do and say, you know what? I am gonna find out the answer to how much I need to start saving now so that I have this money in the future. So I do have an exercise for that that I could send you. So visit, go to loanwithjen.com, whether it's social media or on my website, my contact info is there. You can DM me, you can email me and just say, hey, Jen, you talked about a way to calculate and help with your vision goals, how much you need to retire. So you can definitely reach out to me, Loan with Jen. So establish a simple vision, having some structure. So I'm gonna give you some tips on how to have some simple structure around how you pay bills and how many bank accounts do I have or what should I do or should I do a 401k? And then schedule things, making a plan. So we're gonna cover a few tidbits and bullet points in each of these areas. And that's it, just these three steps. Know where you're going, have the vision, put some structure in how to get there through some methodical things and then schedule it and make it into some habits. Life is a game, not everybody plays. Structure is success. Just a couple of stats here for you. 10% of us inherit money. I know I didn't. 10% of us have our wealth from investing, if you're Warren Buffett. And number three, through monthly accumulation is the largest way that people accumulate money. Even Warren Buffett started somewhere. Even Bill Gates, like he started Microsoft in a garage, y'all. Accumulation is how he did his wealth. He didn't inherit anything. So, you know, just some samples is starting somewhere. Now, not all of us are going to make it big like Warren Buffett, okay, or Bill Gates, but it is possible to have, like I have seen through the last 12 years, the benefits of compounding over consistent savings. And now I have more savings than I've ever dreamed of. And it's only through consistent, methodical focus. It's the repetition and the consistency that will get you there. I promise you. In case you're wondering, ideal balance of what you should consider when you're looking like, how much should my survival number expenses be? Like, what should I be paying on like bills and stuff? So if your gross pay is $1,000 a month before taxes, we're going to just assume 30% goes to taxes. Some of you are in a less tax bracket and some of you are in more. But for this illustration, we're using 30. So $300 of every thousand automatically goes to taxes. 40% should go to your bills. So if you make a thousand gross, your monthly bills between housing and car payment and all those different things should be ideally $400 or less. And so that'll help you work backwards on what's my lifestyle? What am I spending money on? And then you've got 10% to giving, charity. I'm a super charitable person. So I am currently at a five to 7%. I really want to grow that more. I'm really, really working on it. Some of you might say, yep, I'm at my 10%. Some of you might have a ways to go, but I super, super encourage and believe in the power of being charitable to others less fortunate than us. So for me, that 10% bucket is on my schedule. That leaves 20% to save. 
this is ideal to work towards. So basically, bottom line, 40% to spending. So how do we save this 20%? How do we just dig deeper in that little granular right there? Tracking. If you focus on it, it will happen. I promise you, like a different comparison, but I recently, actually just this last week, I have been really floating in my nutrition and I have been eating what I want. If I see chocolate, I am having it. And I said, enough. I started a nutrition coach program. I got an accountability partner. I'm going to talk about accountability here in a little bit. And I've been tracking. I've been using my fitness pal. I have a checklist on my phone. They sent me this app that I've got to click, click, click. I have some tracking that I'm doing. And voila, it is no surprise that I have lost weight this week. So my incentive to you is start tracking. If you're tracking a little bit now, get better. You don't have to go from zero to 100 overnight, but take these small baby steps. So I'm here to help you get some small baby steps to your tracking. Just dig in right where you are and get a little bit better. My suggestion is that you have three to four maximum main accounts. Like keep it simple. The way I've been doing it for all these years is my paycheck and any kind of refunds or anything that I get, everything goes to my main checking account. And I use that to pay my bills. And monthly, I know how much I'm allocating to some miscellaneous spending items that can be random, like, you know, gifts for birthday parties and groceries. I allocate for my family of four, but really five because I have a housekeeper and anyway, and a dog. So bottom line, I allocate a certain amount, 800 for groceries. I put it in that account. I transfer some of the miscellaneous spending money that happens throughout the month, including the blow it spending, you know, oh, hey, I'm going to the 7-Eleven and getting, you know, a coffee or whatever, including all that little miscellaneous stuff. I've budgeted a certain amount for that kind of stuff. And I put that into a separate account. Let's just say it's a savings account or it can be another checking account, either one. And that's the one that I have the ATM card tied to. I don't have the ATM card tied to the checking account where our bills, you know, like your electric and gas and mortgage, they, they auto draft, right? Like I leave the money in there to pay those things throughout the month. And then I have a specific amount. Let's say your ancillary stuff that happens throughout the month. You're like, I don't want to spend more than $1,000 on these ancillary things. Let's say you've come up with that between groceries, your BS money, you know, your movie money, all those little things. Put that into that savings, that account that you'll have your ATM and or your little Visa debit card tied to that. Don't tie it to where your recurring bills come out. So that's a way to control yourself because then guess what? If you're at the end of the month or even mid-month and that money's run out and your balance on that is dwindled down, you won't spend any money because that's what your card is. Your visa debit is tied to that money. Put your Venmo tied to that little mad money savings, mad money checking account that's for miscellaneous stuff. So that is a way to do it that I know quite a few people, the ones that taught me this, have had success on. And when you're paying bills from that checking account, by the way, so I sit down and pay bills once a month now. Now, I didn't always used to do that, but remember 12 years ago, I did this massive change on my habits, I had to, because if I didn't, my husband was going to divorce me for sure. The mentor that I sought out for money taught me like, hey, you pay bills once a month. 
So I reconcile everything once a month in the beginning of the month. And I look at like, hey, what were my deposits this last month? What do I have to leave in my account to pay the mortgage and the, the car and all these recurring things? I transfer the money to the Mad Money Savings checking, you know, spending account. I make the transfer for my savings to the money market. But when the money market is three times my survival number, when that three month survival number is capped and done, I put excess money in my investment account with my investment advisor. The fourth account that I want you to consider, some of you, I don't have it, but it is sometimes good. In fact, I just coached one of my assistants. She's been with me 13 years and we have a check-in once a month, all my people. But anyway, I was helping her. She had a question because she knows that I'm help people with budgeting. And she says, hey, I spent too much money on my grandkids. I mean, I love them to death, but I forget what I do with one and do with the other and, you know, blah, 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 blah. And so I said, hey, why don't you have like your own escrow account to the side, like money that can sometimes change and go up and down, like taking trips, spending on kids or grandkids, like birthdays and stuff. What if you had this separate little account that's like your own escrow account to where you say, okay, these are the annual expenses for how much this kind of stuff is. Like, let's say between your annual auto insurance renewal or your annual homeowner's dues or your annual trip fund. Let's say if you put those things in a separate account, not the money market that's emergency fund, not your mad money spending, that's your monthly recurring spending, but like this account where I added up these annual expenses that I have and I divided it by 12. And so every month I send, let's just say that that amount is $600. When I'm doing my budgeting once a month, I take $600 and I send it to this escrow, my little self escrow account so that it's accumulating 600, 600, 600. And then when those annual bills become due or when it's time to plan for the trip or whatever, I take it from that account. So I hope I'm making sense. Like it's just a way to put it aside monthly instead of having to be like, oh my God, it's a annual trip. And now it's just blowing my budget because I've got to spend all my disposable income this month on this large credit card bill because I just put it all on the Amex. Like it's a way to spread out your big annual expenses and divide them by 12 so that you're little by little accumulating it. And then once or twice a year, you'll have it an exodus. So that's what I mean by having your own escrow account. And escrow means just kind of a holding tank. That's kind of what that means. So that you're not surprised when those kind of bills come up because it always seems to happen at the worst time. So paying bills once a month has become a huge, just really great for me to actually pay the bills. You can change your credit card due dates to be a similar time of the month. And by the way, ideal number of credit cards is one to two. Like the more you have, the more, well, trouble you could get in. But also for your credit score, ideal number of credit cards is one to two. So all these little store credit cards and gas credit cards and all that, I would not do it because it'll, number one, start to harm your score. But number two, it's too much to keep up with. It's just too much. So try to get them all. My Amex cuts off on the 10th and my Chase card cuts off on the 9th. So it's kind of right around the similar time. But you can do that to coincide and change your due date to correspond. If you're someone that's paid bi-monthly on the 1st and the 15th, you might want your mortgage to come out on your first paycheck 
and the one that's after the 15th, you might want your credit card to come out then. So you just kind of have to sit down and see to help balance out your flow of how you pay bills and stuff to help you have more disposable. So that's just an idea for you. I definitely the thing that I would look at weekly, especially because we're going to talk about categorizing. I like to do that weekly so it doesn't pile up. A second way to save 20% is to be debt-free. So if you're somebody that does not pay off credit cards monthly, this is how I did it. This is where my experience comes in. Y'all, I think I had like six or seven credit cards at the time that 12, 13 years ago. I paid the smallest balance off first. I did not worry about interest rate. It just did not matter. I needed to have some relief of having to keep track of all these little payments and due dates and all this stuff, y'all. It's just too much. So I wanted to feel the success of chopping off the smallest one first. Like I made all my minimum payments as I needed, but when I put extra, you know, principal towards it, I started with the smallest one so I could get rid of it and get it out of there. Again, I mentioned before, maximum number of revolving cards you should have is one to two. It will keep you out of trouble. And if you get tempted to do that, oh, I'm going to give you 20% discount at Target. If you buy the clothing store, whatever, I mean, maybe, but should you be buying big, huge, large purchases like that anyway, where it's going to make a difference? I personally wouldn't do it, but. And then keep your credit cards at less than 30% of the available balance. That will keep your credit score in check. This credit score means everything with just anything you want to do. Buy a car, buy a house, anything. So when you start maxing out your cards, that is when your score goes haywire for sure. We talked about building a survival account. So this is what that means. You could break out Excel. It's an easy way to do it. You could also DM or email me. I have a budget form where it's already easily formatted to type in the numbers. I've got a couple sections. The top section I have are things that I have to pay. Like they are not discretionary. They are mandatory, like my house payment, my car payment, you know, things that do not change. And then I have another section, which is ancillary stuff to where when I need to cut, that's where I go. I'm actually about to get rid of cable. Something like 120 bucks a month. So I can't wait for that. If your survival number between all your mandatory and then discretionary, remember, you have to use your best calculation of how much do I spend a week on my mad coffee? How much do I spend on eating out? How much do I spend on groceries? So get those weekly amounts and times them by four and come up with a monthly number. And that's a part of that 3000 survival, let's say. This is just an example. So when you add up all the mandatory and then estimated ancillary, estimated discretionary items. That's what you need to survive and live the life that you live currently right now without making any cuts. And if that number is 3,000 a month, then three times that would be 9,000. So when you're saving the 20% and you're putting it in your money market, now you might also have a combination. We're going to talk about 401k. So that 20% might be distributed in a couple different sources. But when you have an amount available to go to your money market, once you get to the 9,000, three times your survival, don't put any more in your money market. Put it somewhere else. And I'm a super proponent of financial advisors. If you need one, again, contact me. I'll give you a couple of names of referrals of people that I know that you would have success with. That's where the accountability comes in, is having someone else helping you through navigate all this stuff. 
So survival number is your monthly mandatory and discretionary expenses to live your life. You know, if you're a manicure, pedicure person like I am, that's in my survival number until I have to cut. And then that might be one of the things that goes, but that's in my discretionary. So put it all in there and estimate how much you spend. And it's going to help you know, like, how much do I need to transfer into that secondary checking account that my ATM is tied to, my debit card? Like, how much do I spend on that little stuff so I can get it out of my checking account and get it where I would have that ATM card, which is really kind of like my mad spending money for the month of July, for example. Okay, maximize your retirement. If you have access to a retirement plan, I definitely would do that. Check with a financial planner or CPA. Those amounts change annually. Now that I'm over 50, my amount changed. actually went up a little bit, so that's kind of cool. But I definitely, especially if you have a company that matches here at Legacy, my employer, they match, which is a great up to a certain percent. So that's super cool. That's like free money, y'all. That's a great benefit. So make sure that part of that 20% is maxing out some of these things that are available to you. Definitely recommend that. Prepaying your mortgage. So I believe in this. This is my personal Jennifer. Again, none of this is financial advice, by the way, as far as like professional. These are just from my experiences, my tips, my Jennifer opinion, okay? I'm not a huge proponent of prepaying but only after all these other things are taken care of. I have kids. I spent many years where my only savings was my kids 529. It's actually, I said it years ago to where there was enough in there to grow so that they had what they needed for a four-year state school. So I already got that out of the way. That was my biggest concern was them having money for college. So I made it happen. I put structure around it, right? I came up with a plan with my financial advisor you know, life insurance, there's other things to think about. So make sure those other things are taken care of before you pay your mortgage. I mean, if the mortgage rates, which they still are, is lower than what you could earn in the market, which it's been a long time since mortgage rates have been higher than the gains you can earn in the stock market. Okay, just saying. I believe that when I sell my house, when my kids go off to school and I sell my primary residence, I mean, that's going to pay my mortgage. I personally do not prepay my mortgage, but that is me. Now, I will start prepaying probably in the next few years just because, you know, I'm hoping to retire, (laughs) you know, within 10 years. And I want to have more equity so that I can pay cash for that next house and don't have to mortgage it, right? So, but that's in a later in life. I believe in leverage. I only believe in prepaying a mortgage with monthly disposable income after you've hit those other 20% savings, you know, the taxes, the bills, all that stuff. So work that into your savings plan in addition to that 20% if you've got disposable income over that. Consider a biweekly mortgage is the one that's the least taxing on your disposable income. It's just one extra payment a year, actually. But the payment, mortgage payment comes out every two weeks. They basically split your mortgage payment in two. But because there's 26 biweekly in a year, you end up making one extra mortgage payment. It's pretty cool. And it shaves eight years off a 30-year mortgage. So it's pretty cool without really feeling it through your monthly budget. So it's kind of a cool way to do that. But beware of those biweekly systems. It's a system that takes 
money out of your account. There's fees to do that every time they take out. So it's anywhere from four to, I don't know, 15 or $20 per month just to have another company handle that for you. So just research, read the reviews and think before you go into that. Something that you might be able to do on your own, like just say, hey, I'm just going to pay a little bit extra per month. Like be done with it. It won't cost me any extra money. Okay, investing in the market, mutual funds, stocks, things like that. This is where a financial planner will come in handy. Do not try to be a day trader if you don't have the time to really learn what's going on. So seek some referrals from people that you trust to someone that you can help you with your money. I would not be shy about whether, you know, you might be at a point where you're like, oh, I don't feel like I have enough money to invest. I don't have that much. Listen, there's a lot of financial planners that want to grow with you. My financial planner is sure glad that he did because years ago when I went through that taxing time, I didn't have very much money, but he is very glad now because I have a lot. So I got a lot of savings. He stuck with it. He stuck with me. He grew with me and really helped me over the years and was really a good part of how I was able to put some structure also around my savings. So, you know, here's just a few tips here. Again, 529s. There's also some life insurance policies that can do some similar things for kids' education. So again, if you find that you need a recommendation to a good financial planner, just let me know. If you're in the Houston or Texas market, I know those and I could probably find them in other states too, but definitely get someone to help you out is my advice. It's been really a pleasure and a joy to present this to you today. I hope that you picked up a few nuggets of just some structure. And accountability is a big thing, whether it's setting a time, like a meeting with your spouse or whoever you might share expenses with to say, hey, we're going to review the budget or your financial planner, you know, reviewing it with them. That's a structure, right? Like getting that, have being accountable to somebody else for these numbers especially if for those people that are single and don't have anyone really watching over them, you know, there is a tendency to kind of start straying and lose that structure because there's really no one looking, there's no one watching. So that's where a financial planner can really come in handy of being that trusted resource for you. So thank you again. Just contact me. I'm happy to send it to you. All right, y'all. Thanks for signing on today. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Loan with Jen podcast. Keep joining me each week to stay up to date on the mortgage industry as I'll dive into relevant topics so your home financing process, whether you're buying or refinancing, is smooth and simple. If you enjoyed today, please click follow and that way you'll never miss an episode. To find us on social media, just go to Loan with Jen on any of the social media handles, TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Thanks for tuning in this week for Real Facts, No BS. Talk soon.